Huh. God damn, I don't think I've ever felt cooler than knowing that that is my theme song. That's pretty awesome, honestly. I'm I'm feeling like uh, maybe I don't deserve that good of a theme song. I'm kind of a boring dude, but... Let's be honest, if I really felt that way, I wouldn't have a website full of my writing and an accompanying podcast. I know I'm fucking interesting, and so do you. That's why you're here. So let's talk about this. This is episode two of a two-part series called A Trash Skunk Guide to Aliens, meant to accompany the articles on trashskunk.com that I wrote about this. Um, so I decided this would be first uh, a very fun first two podcast episodes to make. It's just a good topic. It's a fun one to talk about. And that's why we're here. So welcome to part two. Uh, if you haven't heard Aliens part one, I'm not going to tell you that you need to, but it might help because uh, really briefly, I just broke this whole topic up into two sections. The first section, of course, is aliens and pop culture, which is different than aliens and science. They are not quite the same thing. So aliens pop culture was the first episode. We covered alien abductions. We covered UFO sightings and UFO videos. We covered ancient aliens. We covered Roswell. I touched a little bit on Area 51. Honestly, I I think there's more made about Area 51 than really needs to be written or spoken about. It's a fucking Air Force base. There's a lot of weird planes there. There's no aliens there. I would bet my nicest pair of shoes on it, honestly. Probably not a lot of money, because who knows, you know? But I don't think that's going on. Anyway... Bottom line is, episode one was about all that kind of fun pop culture stuff. Aliens in the movies, blah, 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 blah. This is part two. So I want you to realize, going in, that we're not talking about all that shit. There will be no conspiracy theories about the government. There will be no anal probing. Uh, We're leaving that all for episode one. This is going to be the scientific view of extraterrestrial life. Now... That's the real term I want to be using, but for brevity, I'm going to use aliens because believe me, trying to speak into a microphone eloquently and saying extraterrestrial a hundred times is going to be a little too tough for me. I'm a writer, not a talker. Um, (laughs) Probably shouldn't say that kind of thing as a podcast host, but hey, here we are. I think this is going to be the more interesting episode, in my opinion. Maybe the first one will be a little more full of jokes and a little more entertaining. After all, it's really tough to follow a a comedy act that includes anal probing. But this is going to talk about more serious and far, far more fascinating alien stuff, if you're into that. Um, So let's get into it. You know, uh, really quickly, I think the first thing I want to do is just sort of go over the nine possible attitudes towards alien life that one can have. And I invented this. This is not a scientific theorem. This is a trash skunk theorem. So take this with a grain of salt. And I'm sure that there's a, an attitude or here you could fit in that I didn't think of, but I really tried to take it step by step. So just really briefly, let's cover this. Um, going from sort of most scientific to least scientific and least rational opinion on aliens. It's number one. Okay. The first attitude would be aliens don't exist. Attitude two, aliens are unlikely to exist. So you're giving a little ground, but you're saying, okay, I don't really think they do, but maybe they do. Attitude three, aliens might exist, but so far we have no evidence. Attitude four, aliens are likely to exist, and it's possible that we do have some evidence. Attitude five, oh, aliens do exist, 
but they haven't been to Earth. So this is the first time we make the positive claim, oh no, they exist, they just haven't been here. Uh, attitude six would be aliens exist and they visited Earth at some point in the past. Attitude seven, aliens exist and are currently visiting Earth. We just haven't made official contact, meaning, you know, the government hasn't spoken to the aliens. They're here abducting people and probing people, but no one's actually sat down and said, hey, I speak for Earth and you speak for Zarzak or whatever fucking planet you come from. Um, attitude eight would be aliens are visiting Earth currently. We have made a contact, but it's a government cover-up. So this would be like the Roswell-type theories, the people who believe, uh, oh, the government knows all about the aliens. They're talking to them. We've captured their craft. You know, this is probably the most popular one in the pop culture sphere is number eight. Aliens visiting Earth. We've made contact. It's a cover-up. Uh, and then, of course, there's the most extreme of all, number nine, aliens exist, and one of them stuck something right up my ass. So these, of course, are the people who say, I know they exist because an alien came to my house, took me on board his ship, pulled out a big old jiggling dildo, and had his way with me. Um, that's obviously, that person's pretty fucking sure aliens exist. So, <laughs> part one of this really covered attitudes five through nine, from aliens exist but they haven't visited Earth, to yes, they, they do exist, they've sodomized me, that's how I know. That was part one. This is going to be more concerned with the scientific attitudes, parts one through four, which cover... Aliens don't exist because we have no proof. So it's like God, like you can't, the burden of proof in science is always upon the person who's asserting something, right? So if you say Santa Claus is real, okay, well, it's not up to me to prove that Santa Claus isn't real. You're the one that brought it up. You have to prove Santa is real. Otherwise, it's not worth talking about because all day long we could sit here and say unicorns are real. Uh, the tooth fairy is real, and then everyone's chasing their tails trying to prove that they're not, and it's really hard to prove something's not real when it's not fucking real. If you're saying something exists, like aliens, it's on you to prove it. So that's why, number one, aliens do not exist, even though I don't personally agree with it. It still falls within the realm of science, right? Like, if you think they exist, fucking prove it. So... One, all the way through four, which is aliens are likely to exist, and maybe we have evidence, those are scientific. I say that four is the limit for this, because maybe having evidence is even stretching a little bit for me. Yes, we have tapes of UFOs. Yes, we have stories about abductions. And yes, we have just statistics and math, right, which we're going to get into later. Well, look at all the planets in the universe. Look at all the stars. Like, yeah, they prob like that's kind of some evidence that there's probably life out there. Yeah, maybe. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, that's a popular view. I think a lot of scientists even have that view. Hey, look at all this shit everywhere. There's got to be something somewhere. Um, yeah, we'll get to it. So for now, let us enter into the realm of science. The first thing I want to talk about here when it comes to the scientific view of aliens, uh, there's a lot of places to start, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, astronomers and astrophysicists and other scientists have thought about aliens quite a bit and for quite a long time. There's Obviously, it's a an, uh, an topic of interest for not just conspiracy theorists, but we're all into it, right? The proper jumping off point, as far as I can tell, is probably something called the Fermi Paradox. So the Fermi Paradox is named after an Italian-American physicist named Enrico Fermi. Enrico, Enrico. He uh, first came up with this at a lunch with fellow scientists in 1950. This is just a concept he had wondering basically like, 
There should be aliens. Where is everybody? So let me kind of give you the details of what the Fermi paradox really entails. Uh, I'm going to read here from Wikipedia for you really briefly. So here's the points he sort of calculates. There are billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy that are similar to our sun. Okay, so billions of stars like our sun. Uh, with high probability, some of these stars will have Earth-like planets. So billions of stars, a good probability that a lot of the stars have Earths or Earth-like planets around them. Uh, many of these stars, and hence many of those Earth-like planets, are even older than our solar system. So, if the Earth is a typical thing to exist around a star, it stands to reason that some of these stars probably would have had Earths that developed intelligent life a long time ago. Are you following me? Okay, next step. So, some of the civilizations that have probably developed on these planets must have come across the technology for interstellar travel at some point, because this is a step that humans are currently investigating. If we use ourselves as an example, we know we're already looking at space travel. So if there's all these other Earth-like planets that are likely to have civilizations, it's extremely likely that they are also, either now or in the past or in the future, likely to develop interstellar travel. Um, so even at the slow pace that we currently are progressing this technology, you know, it takes a long time to figure out interstellar travel, let's be honest. Even at that slow pace, the Milky Way galaxy could be completely traversed from end to end in only a few million years. Really not that bad when we're on the cosmic scale. Um, and since many of the stars in our galaxy that are similar to ours are way, way older, billions of years older, uh, the Earth should have already been visited by more advanced alien species by now. Or at least their probes. They would have sent some sort of a robotic thing like our Mars rover to Earth in the past, you would think. Because, again, what this is basically saying is that our galaxy is older than our solar system, right? There's been plenty of opportunities for life to evolve on older planets in older solar systems, so why not somebody visiting us by now? Um, the final and most important part of the Fermi paradox is that, however, given all of these circumstances... There is no convincing evidence that we have ever been visited by an extraterrestrial civilization. Now, in the article, I underlined the word convincing evidence because, yes, there is quote-unquote evidence in the form of UFO videos, in the form of these abduction stories, everything we've already talked about in episode one. The key word here is convincing. <laughs> the key word here is convincing, guys, because... Those are not convincing. Yes, some of them are intriguing. Some of them look fascinating and interesting, the things we want to know about. But scientifically speaking, these are not observable, testable, repeatable. They're not hard, concrete evidence of anything. Even the craziest UFO video you've ever seen is not proof of aliens. It's proof of some crazy shit going down in the sky or something really weird going on with a camera or any number of other things. It is not proof that we're being visited by aliens. So that's what this means. For science, what it would really take is meeting a fucking alien, finding a dead alien body, having a ship actually crash. We need something concrete. So as far as we know, and for the rest of the purposes of this article, I really want to drill it into the listeners and the reader's head, uh, we're talking about 
convincing certain evidence. We don't have it yet. So Fermi's paradox is asking the question, if the universe is filled with life as it seems that it should be, where the fuck is everybody? Why haven't we met any aliens? Why aren't they just making themselves known? Why, when we point radio telescopes out to the sky, is it quiet? It shouldn't be. So this basically leaves us in the <laughs> trash gunk alien attitudes realm of number one and number three, which is either aliens don't exist, that's an easy solution to the Fermi paradox, or number three, aliens could exist, we just don't have evidence of them yet. That's pretty much where we're at here, and that is where modern science is at with aliens. Either they're not there, or maybe they are and we just don't have evidence yet, which is why we continue to look for evidence. So that being said, people have tried to uh, come up with solutions for the Fermi Paradox, and they're all absolutely fascinating. I'm going to go through them all with you now. It's pretty much the, the whole episode, honestly, is just figuring out the answer to this question. So let's talk about the first one. Um, this one is called the Drake Equation. Uh, this is named after a physicist, an astrophysicist, in fact, named Frank Drake. What a name. Power name. That's one of those names like Max Shaft. This guy could be a porn star. Frank Drake, PI, penis investigator. Drop those trousers. Let's see what you're working with, buddy. Um, again, I have to apologize to my older listeners. This is, honestly, it's frankly, Frank Drakely, this is kind of the show. <laughs> it's going to be like this. So, sorry. Get used to it. But a lot of fun science along the way. So listen, astrophysicist Dr. Frank Drake came up with a formula. The formula is basically trying to understand and trying to calculate, like, what are the odds of there being other civilizations, extraterrestrial civilizations in our galaxy, and what are the odds of us ever hearing from them or communicating with them? And I wish there was an eloquent way for me to read this equation to you, but looking at it right now, fucking forget about it. It's not going to happen. Uh, I, let me just read you basically the symbols from it, and you tell me if you think you want to sit through 15 minutes of me explaining this. It's N equals R star times FP times NE times FL times FI times FC times L. And all of those numbers, for all of you mathemaniacs, obviously stand for some interesting concept uh, that they're just sort of sitting in for. Basically... All you need to know for the purposes of this podcast is that the Drake equation is attempting to find out using factors like how, you know, what's the average rate of star formation and the fraction of those stars that form that wind up having planets and how many of those planets wind up spawning life and of the planets that spawn life, how many develop uh, intelligent life and how many of those intelligent lives wind up forming civilizations. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, through the obvious steps of evolution, you'd imagine a empty solar system stepping through in order to have something like human beings, right? Like sentient animals walking around a rock. Um, the Drake equation is fascinating because it probably could give us a rough number of alien civilizations likely to exist in our galaxy at the very least. The problem with it is a lot of the equation variables we have no figure for, right? Like one of the one of the variables here is the fraction of planets with life that go on to develop intelligent life. Well, wouldn't we love to know the fucking answer to that? The only planet we know of in the entire universe that has life at all, much less intelligent life, is ours. So there's no way we can tell what fraction of planets with life go on to develop intelligent life. 
we're the only one with life to begin with, and we have both. We have a very small sample size. There's no fucking way of knowing. And there's other ones, too, which is, you know, the length of time for which an intelligent civilization releases detectable radio signals into space. Okay, well, again, if we had several planets full of aliens doing this and we could measure how long they were sending radio signals into space, we could give an answer to that. But we don't even really know for ourselves. We only started broadcasting shit like 120 years ago, and we're still doing it. So we can't say when we're going to be done. The Drake Equation, in essence, is very, very interesting, potentially uh, very informative if you had the proper information. But for here, it leaves us, you know, kind of wanting. There's there's not a lot we can learn from it. It's more of a talk piece and a think piece and a fun thing to bring up over dinner if you're ever getting drunk with an astrophysicist than it is an answer to the Fermi Paradox. But there are more fascinating solutions or proposed solutions to the paradox. So let's explore some of them. These are two really good ones, and they kind of go hand in hand, halfway at least. They are the great filter and the rare earth hypothesis. So let's really focus on the great filter first. Basically, one reason maybe that we're not seeing intelligent life outside of earth is because there's some sort of natural filter that prevents any advanced civilizations from existing for long enough to get off of their planets and colonize space. So this quote-unquote sort of filter could be something as simple as like intelligent civilizations are inherently self-destructive. You could see that with humans. We've <laughs> risked nuclear war. We're depleting our resources. Um, there's a million reasons why humans might fuck ourselves out of becoming an intergalactic civilization. My money is that we won't, uh, either for our own reasons or because something will destroy us, like a disease or an asteroid or, again, resource depletion. You know, we're really, we're really fucking stupid with handling our, our business on our own planet. It's hard to imagine that we would be able to get to the stars and make much of it. And it might be that that's a very common thing for intelligent alien species. By the time you get to be as smart as people you might have run so roughshod over your own homeworld and depleted so many resources, or you might be on the brink of so many disasters, or you might just be playing the cosmic lottery with asteroids and all the other things, gamma ray bursts that could happen and just zap your planet out of, exi out of existence. So it's possible that just the reason we don't see a lot of advanced alien civilizations is it's really, really hard to make it there. It's like winning who wants to be a millionaire. No one ever does it. One guy in a, in a million gets there. Uh, and that could be possible. However, the great filter doesn't necessarily mean that the filter is in front of us. It could also mean that the filter is somewhere in the past, which would mean that we potentially are like lottery winners, right? Like what if the great filter is life starting on a planet to begin with? What if it's possible that that's so incredibly rare that that's the reason we don't see aliens? Like life itself is just super rare. That's where this ties into what's called the rare earth hypothesis. That's what that's all about. It's like, well, earth, you know, we might see Earth-like planets everywhere, but life starting is not as uh, routine as maybe you think it is. You might have water and nitrogen and carbon and all these other things that we think we need, but life just kind of kick-starting out of that, not very common. Um, but there's other bottlenecks. You know, there's actually a list that they've come up with, and when I say they, I mean scientists who think about this stuff professionally. 
Here is basically the nine steps that it takes for non-living matter, meaning just, you know, uh, raw elements, to kind of coalesce into things and undergo abiogenesis, which is the term given to life sort of arising from non-living matter, right? So this is when we get into very, very basic building blocks of life, like RNA and stuff like that. And for that to evolve all the way into a intelligent living being capable of colonizing the stars. So there's a lot of steps along the way. The big nine uh, are the ones we're going to talk about here. Number one, you need to have the right star system to begin with, right? You need to have all the right uh, chemical compounds and elements floating around. You can have a planet form that can even begin this process, okay? So let's imagine that happens. Number two, reproductive molecules form, like RNA, right? Uh, number three would be very simple prokaryotic single-cell life forms form from these RNA and whatever reproductive molecules you have floating around. Number four would be complex. So we go from single-cell life forms to more complex single-cell life forms, which you can tell where this is going. Eventually, we have sexual reproduction and multicellular life comes out of this. Now, multicellular life is everything from uh, basically an amoeba might be single cell. I'm not scientifically literate enough to know, but something on that level, two-celled organisms all the way up to an ape who's picking ants off of a tree. Those all fall under step six, multi-cell life. Uh, number seven becomes intelligent life. So that would be the step between an ape and a human being, right? Somebody who might look like an ape and might have two arms and lips and eyes and legs, but also knows how to build a car. That's intelligent life. Number eight, a civilization of these intelligent beings starts working towards the potential for space colonization. That's where we are now. We're at step eight, right? We've got the beings on our planet that are working on this. It's us. It's humans. The ninth and final step is, of course, leaving the planet and colonizing the stars. We're not there yet. So one of these steps, one of these nine steps, right, all the way from number one, where the right star system with the right chemical compounds must exist in order to produce the RNA and the single cell forms, all the way from there to literally us colonizing the stars, somewhere in there, the great filter theory says there must be an incredible bottleneck. Either it's at the very beginning, where the right star system formed, maybe it's in the middle, you know, where... It's very rare for single-cell forms of life to even begin from RNA. Or maybe it's at the end, where we are now, like we talked about earlier. Maybe the big filter is, oh yeah, it's really common for uh, single-cell life forms to become human-like intelligence, but it's very unlikely for them to ever leave their planet. I hope I'm making sense here. This is getting a little bit complicated, but basically the filter is any one of the steps. And the, the point is that we don't know where the step is. All we know is that at some point along the way, it seems like one of these steps is rare for life to take. So the real question for us is, is our great filter in our future? Are we going to get hit by an asteroid, wiped out by a pandemic, destroy ourselves in a nuclear war? There are any number of things that will prevent humans from colonizing space. Or is our great filter in our past, as I previously discussed? Is it is it extremely rare for either life to spring up, or is it something else? And here's my hunch. I think that maybe if the great filter theory is true, and there are other theories we're about to cover, but if this is really the one, 
I think the the filter for us might be intelligence, right? Maybe it's not so rare for life to form. Maybe it's not so rare for a lot of different kinds of life to form on a planet. But maybe it's a little bit rare for them to become intelligent enough to even be in the running for civilization and a spacefaring civilization, especially. Because think about this. Of all the creatures that have ever lived on planet Earth, from the single-celled organism all the way to an elephant and a dinosaur and everything in between, only one of these beings has ever become what we would consider quote-unquote intelligent, and it's us. Over 5 billion species of animal have lived and breathed on Earth. Only one that we know of is in, has ever been intelligent, and it's human beings. So maybe the great filter is that. You know, maybe it's really unusual for a planet full of living beings to spawn something intelligent enough to build a spaceship. I mean, think about the fact that most animals get by just fine without being as smart as a human being. Birds just need to fly around and eat seeds and worms and fruit and mate and lay eggs and build nests. Like, they don't need to know how to operate Windows 10. They don't give a shit. Most animals don't, you know? Um, So if there is a great filter on us, my feeling is that maybe it's in the past. It might just be intelligence. It could totally be possible that the universe is filled with uh, life And the reason that we're not hearing from them or being visited from them is that it's a bunch of toucans and rats, you know, like the the aliens that might be out there just might be animal level intelligence who have no capability of receiving our radio transmissions, of building a ship and visiting us and abducting us or whatever the hell we think they're doing. It literally just might be a ton of life living much like wildlife does on Earth. Nobody knows. That's the point. My money would be on that, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that was wrong either. Um, It just seems like, given the sample that we have, the only sample of of a life-bearing planet is Earth, and one in five billion species on this planet has become intelligent to the the level that we're talking about, and it's us. So that's where I'm at with that. Uh, Let's move on. There are other potential solutions to the Fermi Paradox, which, let me remind you, is There should be life everywhere. Where the hell is everybody, right? Why haven't we met anyone? Well, one of these solutions is is pretty interesting. I think this one's actually really funny. What if Earth is basically just some sort of a cosmic zoo, right? What if there's a ton of extraterrestrials out there and they're all well aware of Earth and the humans that live upon it, but they see us as some sort of a nature preserve or a... uh, a zoo. I mean, really, a, a nature conservatory. It could be that these alien empires are so advanced and uh, so far beyond us that they look at us and they kind of just think that we're pathetic and they really don't have any need to talk to us. So they're like, oh, how cute. Look at these things running around, making their little civilizations. They've got iPhones and tennis shoes, and they think that they're worth anything. Like, you know what? Everyone just stay away from them. The same way that we have like a an endangered bird sanctuary where everyone's like, oh, look at these stupid birds. They don't even know they're the last 15 ones left. Just everyone stay out of the estuary. Let the birds do their thing, and we'll just watch them because they're pretty. There could be very advanced alien civilizations looking at us thinking the same thing. Look at these dumb idiots running around down here polluting their own planet, thinking that they're so high and mighty. Let's just watch them and laugh. Um, It's a theory. 
I will tell you that the official trash skunk th take on this theory is it's a little much for me. Honestly, I think that this theory assumes too much about alien psychology uh, and it seems like it's a little, it's inserting a human thought into an alien brain, right? And the thought would be that aliens would have any interest at all in conservation or preservation or zoos or whatever you would want to call this project. It's putting a very, very human spin on something that we care about onto a hypothetical uh, being or civilization of beings that really there's no way we could understand their psychology at all. So yeah, it's possible. I think it's a little too anthropomorphized for me personally. But there is another similar theory that I am, uh, I wouldn't say I'm drawn to it, but I'm amused and intrigued by it, uh, maybe a little bit more than the zoo theory. Uh, this is called the dark forest hypothesis. By the way, I should just say for any science-minded person listening, I'm using the word theory I understand that it's not a theory. It's a hypothesis. Um, and what I mean by that for the non-scientific listener is that theories are not the way that we use them in colloquial speech. Uh, a theory in science is pretty well established near fact. You know, the theory of gravity isn't just a guess. <laughs> you know, the theory of evolution, not just a guess. These are pretty established. They're happening. Uh, the way that we use theory and sort of slang pedestrian speech really is, a scientist would call it a hypothesis. It's, hey, what if this? That's my theory. No, it's what if this? That's my hypothesis. So let's call this the dark forest hypothesis because there's nothing really theoretical about it. It's just somebody having a thought experiment. So the dark forest is, what if the reason that everybody in the universe is so quiet is because everyone is hiding from something dangerous. What if there is some sort of an interstellar super predator, and that could be a hostile alien civilization or some sort of enormous world-eating space organism or something else, um, but something that basically poses an existential threat and is looking for planets with life, you know, either to exploit, to kill, or in, in some way to prey upon them. And alien civilizations who are able to talk to us are choosing not to, because maybe doing so would draw the attention of whatever this hostile force is. Now, this is called the dark forest, because you were basically imagining the universe is like a very dark forest with a monster in it, right? And all the animals are quiet. You're not hearing any birds. You're not hearing any squirrels. They're all there. No one's making a noise. And then enter Earth, right? We're just coming down that hiking trail, whistling, jingling our fucking camping uh, tin <laughs> cup, uh, having fun, totally drawing undue attention to ourselves, just broadcasting our presence to everything in the forest. And everyone's just looking at us like we're fucking stupid because they know that there's something out there that's going to come for us imminently. Um it's interesting, right? Now, this is a dark, no pun intended. Okay, fine, pun intended. I'm going to own that one. This is a dark theory. This is a fucking scary theory because it really gets into the sort of scariness of space. We don't know what the fuck is out there. We don't know who the fuck is listening to us when we broadcast 
New Girl and 60 Minutes and all of our wonderful shit that we make into space for everybody to hear and pinpoint back to Earth, uh, it could very well be that other alien species are quite nearby. They're hearing us and they're like, what the fuck, man? Shut the fuck up. What are you doing? Man? Don't bring those motherfuckers around here. That could totally be the case. I could see that happening. But do I? I don't know. I mean... All I know is this. Look, it, whether that's why we don't hear aliens or not, there is something to be said for this theory because we can observe through history that things do not go well for a less developed civilization that is contacted by a technologically advanced one. The examples I will give to you would be the Aztec and Indian empires encountering Spaniards, you know, Polynesian cultures, encounters with the West, uh, China's encounters with Europeans and Native Americans. We all know how that story goes. So the deal is that even when these initial contacts are friendly and things are on good terms, if you fast forward enough, someone usually loses in a really bad way. And it's almost always the person with worse technology. So it's not inconceivable, even if the reason that we're not hearing aliens is is because of this. It's still a good thing to think about. What happens when we advertise our presence to a more advanced civilization and they decide to come find us? Well, we only have Earth history to work with, but if we're going off that, we're probably going to get fucked over pretty bad because we're kind of at the whim at whoever shows up at our door. And the reason why is because we don't have the technology to show up at anybody else's door, right? If they're here, it means they're automatically more advanced than we are. So we're at their mercy. What are we going to do? Go to their house and kick their ass? No, we can't even, we can barely get to the fucking moon. We've got a skateboard on Mars. And I, NASA, I don't mean to insult you. It's a skateboard with some GoPros on it. It's beautiful. What you've done is incredible. But for the sake of this conversation, you know, a little hyperbolic, but yeah, that's where we're at. We can get a skateboard onto Mars. Someone from another fucking solar system comes to us. Uh, who are we to tell them what to do? It's going to be the other way around. So whether the dark forest is a reason we're not hearing anything or not is almost inconsequential. It's more of a good thing for us to think about as we continue to broadcast ourselves wide into the universe and uh, look for contacts, assuming that everybody's going to be friendly. Um, okay, so... Moving on from that, a solution that I kind of like to the Fermi paradox, I think this one is maybe one of the most realistic of all of these because these are all sort of fun thought experiments. This one feels like it kind of delivers the goods for me. Basically, it's just that the universe is way too big and the timing is way too difficult. So think about just the size of this place, right? And think about how fast light travels. Think about how fast radio signals travel. And then also think about how long an intelligent species really might be alive on their host planet. You know, Homo sapiens, aka humans, have only really been here for, I think, what, 250,000 years? Uh, on a cosmic time scale, that's not a lot. Like, let's do a little thought experiment here. So, the speed of light is 299 million. 792,458 miles per second. So I'm going to use that number a couple more times. So for the sake of ease, forgive me, science people, I'm going to round it up. Let's just call it 300 million miles per second because it's 299 million and change. We don't want to go through that every time. It's 300 million miles per second. Okay. So think about this. This is how big the universe is. 
Um, some of the stars that we can see through our telescopes are so far away that the light that we are seeing when we look in the telescope is from 65 million years ago. Of course, that means that these stars are 65 million light years away. It took that light 65 million years just to get to our telescope. Realize that when you're looking at a star like that through a telescope, you're looking at the star as it appeared when a Tyrannosaurus Rex was walking around Earth. You're looking at the way that that star appeared 65 million years ago, okay? So let's imagine this. What if an alien civilization on that star system, in that solar system around that star, sent a message to us 65 million years ago when the Tyrannosaurus Rex was walking around Earth? Some alien was like, hey, I'm going to shoot a text message to Earth and I'm going to send it right now. Okay, great. 65 million years later, we're getting it today. It's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex sent us an email and we're getting it now. Okay, so let's imagine, holy shit, we got this message from an alien civilization. They're in this fucking galaxy that's all the way over here. Uh, we want to send a response. Yeah, the odds are low that anybody's there. They sent it 65 million fucking years ago, but let's try. We send a response back from Earth. Hey, got your message. Really curious to meet you. You know, 24 male SoCal interested in chicks. What's up? We send that back to them. They're not getting it, of course, for another 65 million years, probably even more because the universe is expanding, but I don't want to overcomplicate this. Let's just call it 65 million years. So 65 plus 65 is 130. This alien civilization is receiving a response to their initial message 130 million fucking years after they sent their first one. This basically means the odds are zero that those aliens are even there anymore, right? Think about how much life on Earth has changed since the T-Rex. That was 65 million years ago. Double that and imagine who's walking around now, right? They're not going to be there anymore. The point I'm making here is basically that it could be that intelligent civilizations arise all the time and point their satellites or their information beaming instruments in every direction in the sky and send out a big hello looking for friends. And by the time anybody gets it, they might as well not have sent it because it's been so goddamn long. Their species is long wiped out. Or it could be, you know, what if these people sent something and their broadcast arrived at Earth at the time the dinosaurs were here, right? There could have been people just saturating Earth with, hey, aliens looking for friends, where are you? And the only people here to hear it are a fucking stegosaurus and a shark. Uh, obviously, they're not going to give a response. And then we come along later waiting for someone but the message is already passed, and whoever sent it is probably long gone. I think this makes the most sense to me as to why we're not hearing anybody. When you go through the great filter and imagine what the odds are in the first place of life um, developing and then intelligent life developing from that and then getting to the point, which again, we've only had for about 120 years, of even broadcasting anything into the universe... Then you imagine that the odds of having someone somewhere at the, at the exact perfect time ready to receive it it just kind of breaks down. The numbers just kind of don't make sense at some point. It's uh, it's a real crapshoot. So unless the Great Filter is ahead of, an, uh, of advanced civilizations, which would mean that advanced civilizations should be everywhere, and I don't think that they are, 
I don't see how we get around this. This seems like contacting an alien species, given those parameters, would be extremely unlikely. And to me, that answers the Fermi paradox. I mean, again, I'm not a scientist, and I'm sure that some really, really intelligent person could come in here and absolutely just shit down my throat about this whole thing. But if you're following along, I think that might be our answer here, because it's such a big mystery, and that really fits. That real that, that that key goes in that hole. It's well, let's not go down that metaphor. That uh hmm. That puzzle piece fits in that puzzle real well. Uh, and it could, maybe it's not the solution, but sure feels pretty good to me. Uh, one thing I'd like to get into, kind of while we're talking about the odds of life and the odds of intelligent life, is the popular view. I think most people that I know hold this view of aliens. And you've probably heard it before, even if it's not your own, which is basically this. The universe is enormous. There's just no way that there aren't other planets and other star systems that are going to spawn life, at least by accident, right? We already know that Earth itself is hardly unique. We see other Earth-like planets. We're finding them more and more by the day. So the odds are just there, right? Like the universe is too big. There's got to be a bunch of aliens everywhere. Okay. Maybe. But what if I told you maybe not? I read something recently that fascinated the living shit out of me. Um, there's a, a very interesting opposing argument to this very popular line of thought. Uh, the thought that aliens must exist just because of statistical likelihood. So a man named Paul C.W. Davies, he's a professor. I should probably call him Professor Paul C.W. Davies. Uh, he is a professor of natural philosophy at the Australian Center for Astrobiology at Macquarie University. And that's in Australia, obviously. Uh, he wrote in an essay for Edge several years ago, uh, and I quote, Simple statistics show this argument is bogus. If life generating is indeed a freak chemical event, it is so unlikely to occur that it would not happen twice in a trillion, trillion, trillion planets. End quote. So, Wow. Betting on sheer numbers alone might not actually win the game here. This guy's saying that abiogenesis, you know, uh, non-living matter just kind of turning into life, is so unlikely that it wouldn't happen twice in a trillion, trillion, trillion planets, which is pretty significant number, even on a cosmic scale. But I will say that Professor Davies is specifically talking about the idea that life accidentally pops up with frequency. Um, he goes on to clarify himself a little bit, and he says that he actually does believe that the universe has a lot of life in it. He just doesn't think it's for that reason. He says, and I quote again, I believe that we are not alone because life seems to be a fundamental and not merely an incidental property of nature. It is built into the great cosmic scheme at the deepest level, and because of that is likely to be pervasive, end quote. So at the end of the day, even this guy who doesn't believe in the statistics that we all usually use as our rationale for belief in aliens still believes that life is probably everywhere. His thing is just not that, you know, oh, well, you know, you play with fire, you're going to get a fire and everyone's playing with fire. He doesn't think it's like that at all. 
He thinks that life is built into nature the same way that gravity is. You know, if you get enough matter around, it's going to start attracting other matter. These are just the fundamental laws of, of physics and the way that the universe works. And what he's saying is basically life is just a part of that. It's not a freak accident. It's a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature, right? So that leads me into the final stretch of this whole conversation. Um, we're nitpicking, basically, at this point. It's like, well, is life an accident or is life just part of it? Either way, it sounds like most scientists and the scientific community at large agrees it's probable that life is out there somewhere. What kind of life? Where? Why aren't we hearing from them? You know, these are the questions that are still up in the air. But the fact that it's probably out there somewhere, most people are going to agree with that in the scientific community. Um, there's one more really interesting avenue, you know, we could take to approach the Fermi paradox. Uh, and it is basically just the concept of alienness in general. So one reason, you know, when you think about it, that the universe might seem quiet is that alien life could exist, but it just might be so alien that we don't even recognize it. It could be right in front of our faces and we don't even know it's there. Uh, Carl Sagan once theorized uh, that, you know, what if extraterrestrial intelligence just thought way slower than we did, or maybe way, way faster than we did, and the messages it was trying to get across to us were either so slow or so fast that we didn't even recognize them as intelligent communication at all. You know, there's, think about if a computer tried to talk to you and it gave you 3 million pieces of information in a millisecond, you wouldn't even know it was talking to you because that's the way computers talk to one another, but that's not the way that human beings communicate. My favorite example of this, and it, it expands this idea a little bit, but think about dolphins. Dolphins are the second most intelligent animal on earth, as far as we know. You know, there are fellow mammals, their brains are of similar size. They are incredibly smart. They have language. We can hear them talking to one another. They operate in social groups, which is a huge indicator of intelligence. They're a lot like us in that way. Um, but dolphins come from as alien an environment to a human, right? The ocean, <laughs> as maybe a Starbucks would be to a dolphin. Um, even though we come from the same planet, we come from very, very different habitats. And so, although dolphins are smart, they come from an environment that hasn't required them to use tools like humans or to build complex machines to assist them in their tasks like humans have. They don't have opposable thumbs or hands or any other things that have really allowed us to reach the stars. But dolphins are still extremely fucking smart. They're really really smart. The point isn't like comparing how smart they are to us. The point is that these are animals of extremely high intelligence on our own planet that we are related to. They are mammals just like us. And we can't even talk to them. Dolphins talk. They, you've seen Flipper eh, 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 at those kids. They don't know what Flipper's saying. And when they talk to Flipper, Flipper doesn't know what they're saying. We've recorded dolphins and pods talking to each other for decades. We even know that dolphins and whales have different dialects depending on what part of the world they come from. So if you take like a Mexican pod of dolphins and drop them in New England, they may understand each other roughly, but 
they're going to have their own special dolphin slang and dolphin words for this fish or that fish. Like we know this, this is, I'm not making this shit up. This is true. So we know how smart they are. This is an animal that uses language in a social setting on our planet. And we don't even know how to talk to that animal. And we've been trying for decades. So what's to say that even if we did make contact with an alien civilization and we tried to talk to one another, we would have any goddamn clue what they were talking about. The the usual solution to this in science is, well, math is the universal language, right? This is what we see in like Close Encounters of the Third Time, uh, (laughs) the third time. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they use uh, music and math, I believe, to talk to the aliens. They use like a little tune on a piano and whatever. People go on board the spaceship. They don't really get that deep into it. But scientists like to assume like, well, if an alien understands math and they're able to get here on a spaceship, they must understand math. Well, we can use one plus one equals two and elaborate that into a way to communicate with them. Could you? Yes, if it's the right kind of alien. But what about the fact that some aliens might not be carbon based, water drinking, air breathing uh, aliens at all? What if we come across an extraterrestrial civilization made of gas clouds that communicate, I don't know, with electrical pulses, like on a planet like Jupiter, a gas giant, and the beings that live there are balls of gas or something else that maybe just communicates with chemical uh, signals, you know, which, uh, by the way, there's a lot of evidence now that trees talk to each other that way. No one would say a tree has a brain or it's a high intelligence, but there are living beings out there that have very different ways of talking to each other And what I'm trying to say is that we've got a mammal on Earth using vocal language, and we can't even crack that fucking nut. So I have very low confidence that we would even be able to talk to an alien if we met one. It just seems like the things that would have to line up for that to take place are nearly insurmountable. Um, And that also could be, I mean, more to the point, the reason why we're feeling like the universe is so quiet, right? People might be talking everywhere and we might just not understand it as speech. Think about that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Anyway, this sort of brings me to the end of my Fermi Paradox solutions. And really, honestly, that's where science is at these days. Uh, This is part two of aliens. We're talking about science's view of aliens, and that's where we're at. We do not believe in the scientific world that we have been contacted, or at least if we have a hunch that we have, we have no proof of it. So for all intents and purposes, it really is a no. We have not been contacted that we know of, and we're waiting to see when we can. You know, we have SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence with a vast array of uh, satellite dishes scanning the skies, listening to radio signals, trying to find any sign of life out there. They've been doing this for decades, and God willing, they'll do it until we get an answer. Um, But that's where we're at. It's still quiet. The skies are quiet. We don't really know what's out there. Now, I want to say, you probably wonder where Trash Skunk comes down on aliens after listening to part one and part two of this. They spent a lot of time denigrating other people's opinions and a lot of time kind of going over the science world's opinions. And I think I owe it to you now to tell you where I stand. I want to say that if you only heard part one, you probably left that episode thinking this guy hates aliens or this guy doesn't think it's real at all. That's not true. Not at all. Um, Now that I've walked you through the scientific view of it, I feel comfortable sort of rendering my verdict. Uh, 
I want to say that I think uh, of the Fermi paradox solutions, my money is really on uh, life is abundant, but intelligent life is rare. Um, that's the great filter, right? It's like, I think life could be everywhere, but maybe intelligent life capable of talking to us, of flying to our planet, of really engaging in a conversation with us, that might be the rare thing. That might be the filter. Because again, we're the only species on our planet that we know that's ever become our level of self-aware and intelligent and tool using and all of the things that would really matter. All the things we would be, we would be asking of a visiting alien. We're the only ones that have ever done it. And again, about 5 billion species have existed on Earth. We're one. So the odds, as far as we know, are one in 5 billion. On a cosmic scale, that's really not so bad. But on a uh, on the scale that we have, it's not great. Uh, and my other one would be number two. My You know, the distance and the timing. We talked about somebody sending a message to us at the time a T-Rex is walking around and us just getting it today. And then drafting a message back and them getting it 65 million years from now. This is really not a great way to interact with another civilization. Uh, the, the distances involved in space. I mean, think about a light here, right? How far light travels in a year, how fast it's going. It's 300,000 miles a second. So if light can go 300,000 miles in one second, which is already mind boggling, try to imagine how far it goes in a year and then extrapolate that out to 65 million times. I mean, you can't even wrap your head around it. It's unimaginable to a human brain. We're not meant to be thinking about that kind of stuff. You know, we, we evolved on a planet where we weren't supposed to be uh, wrapping our heads around distances or math like that. And yet, amazingly, we found a way to at least do it in the abstract, which is what makes us intelligent to begin with. So what are my odds on for aliens? Uh, where am I at? You know, or am I the number one? I don't think they exist. Am I number nine? I, I know they exist because they've stuck something on my butt. No, I'm definitely, I'm definitely in the middle. And I'm closer to number one, though, I have to say. I think that where I'm at with it is that I do believe, I just can't see how they're not out there somewhere. I think that the odds are, are on that uh, life is abundant in the universe. Uh, life is probably all over the place. But maybe the reason we're not hearing about people is, like I said, there could be a, uh, a great filter on intelligent life. Or there could be a filter on the fact that intelligent life arises and goes away too quickly for intelligent life to find other intelligent life. I, I, would, I would bet a lot of money that that's probably what it is. I can't say for sure. But yeah, I do, I do believe uh, in aliens in that respect. I do not believe in aliens in the respect that uh, UFOs are harassing airline pilots and people are getting pulled out of bed and given physicals by four foot men with almond shaped eyes. I mean, that might be happening in some places, but it has nothing to do with extraterrestrials. I, uh, I think that that's the most scientific approach we can have here. I would love to hear your ideas. Feel free to reach out at trashgunk.com and tell me what you think about it. But until we learn more, I really think that's the sanest, most logical place we could land, you know? If you disagree with me, again, I would really like to hear about it, and I'd love to hear your reasons why. Um, other than that, I want to say that I really hope you enjoyed part two of a Trash Skunk Guide to Extraterrestrials. If you haven't read the articles, I encourage you to do so. I covered most of the material in them, but... Uh, 
like I said, you know, in the, in the intro to this whole podcast series, writing can sometimes be a little bit more clear and concise than just spoken words. So go ahead and check it out. If you're still interested, there's more to learn in there. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for joining me. Don't forget to smash that like and subscribe. And by the way, I'm sorry. I'm just told that you're supposed to do this stuff. I, I don't take joy in telling you to smash the like and subscribe button. It's just something I've been told has to happen. So please smash the like and subscribe. Give us some love and tell your friends about the podcast. Until then, I will see you next time. And there's the Trash Skunk out. <laughs>